Hello and welcome to Dig Me Up Lady. You're with Casey Martin-Stone and I am in Darwin wishing I was in Melbourne because if you're in Melbourne you have the comedy festival on and my guest this week is actually performing in the festival right now and you would be mad to miss his show. He is actor, comedian and clown Damien Warren-Smith and his show is the amazing Gary Starr Grease Lightning. I saw the show last weekend here in Darwin. Damien joined me for an episode of the podcast and it was so good to hang out with him. His show, Grease Lightning, is getting five-star reviews all over the place. It won Best Show at Adelaide Fringe Festival. We call it Best Show because its actual title is Pick of the Fringe, but do we actually know that that means Best Show? It's a brilliant, brilliant brilliant amazing show uh, so don't miss it if you're in melbourne he's at the butterfly club and he is also touring the show you will be able to find it uh, all around australia the uk and europe if you want to check out those dates have a look at garystar.com two r's in gary two r's in star and yeah if you enjoy this podcast episode you can check out gary on the socials at gary the star so sit back and enjoy the episode let me know what you think of it and for now enjoy Welcome back to the podcast and thank you for joining me on Dig Me Up Later. My name's Casey Martin-Stone. My guest today is someone who has been my clown crush for a number of years. I know that's going to sound weird, but you will hear more about him as we go. So I'm going to go dive straight into it. Please tell me, who are you and what does your life look like? Well, that's a good question. Who am I? Yes. Um, So my name's Damien. Damien Warren Smith, and I uh, I have a character called Gary Starr, who is my alter ego, um, my clown persona. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've um I'm a well, I'm formerly an actor, trained mm-hmm. as an actor, um, worked as an actor, uh, trained in Australia, grew up in Australia, trained as an actor for about, uh, and then worked in London for about 10, 12 years before discovering that such a thing as clown like theatrical clown existed because mm-hmm. um, I think having grown up in Australia and not really knowing about the European style Clowns of clown. tradition and yeah all the different forms of circus and yeah. Yeah and I just assumed it was you know red nose and uh, floppy shoes and you know, going to kids parties and whatnot mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't want to that doesn't interest That's me at all. That's not your clowning. No, it's not my no. vibe. Um, so yeah. How, how do you describe your clowning? Um, I would say it's you know, it's actually the best way it was ever described was a review for the clown troupe that I formed when I came straight into clown school called The Plague of Idiots. Mm-hmm. And um, and a reviewer said, simple, beautiful idiocy. That is lovely. Yeah. Simple, beautiful, beautiful idiocy. I also read a review of yours years ago that said uh, six foot two toddler. And oh, no, I remember that one. I remember yeah. That it was so great because it was just it just captured that energy of you on stage where you're so full of wonder and joy and just like unstoppable 
Yeah. Because I use that quote on a lot of my posters. And the uh, full cool. quote is, um, an anarchic play date yes. with a six-foot-two toddler with a mop of fuzzy hair, no inhibitions, and far too much raspberry cordial on board. <laughs> that is such a perfect description of you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's a perfect description of Gary Starr. How much of Gary Starr is in Damien Warren Smith? Well, I'd like to say that we're very different, but my mum came and saw the show, um, you know, early on and was like, well, this this is just you as a kid. This is what you've done is tapped into, uh, you know, exa- the mannerisms and wow. the, even the, you know, the, the language that I used as, as a kid. And mm-hmm. so it really is. And th- that's what, for me, that's what Clowney is. It's about um, finding a way as an adult to play like you did as a child. It's really interesting because often I get people saying to me about my work because archaeology and comedy are both fun. They're fascinating. They're interesting. Mm. You get to go places and meet interesting people and do cool things. Um, and they're like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I find what I like to do. And I always think, what did you love as a child? Yeah. Like, did you love climbing trees or reading books or organising your stamp collection or something? Like, just what was it that gave you joy? Joy. And chasing the joy is something that we, we, we've almost forgotten how to do it because We're trained it's been not drilled it. into us that you have to stick it, you have to pick something and stick with it. Yeah. And look, I think there's a there's a disadvantage to the fact that I didn't, because my dad passed away when I was quite young, and I think he's the one who would have drilled me into sticking with things, whereas yeah. my mum was kind of so like... really lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of lucky, yeah. Sorry, yeah, lucky your dad died. Yeah. I didn't mean it that way. But <laughs> no, but there is, you know, there's a... Look, I, obviously, there, there would have been some massive advantages to having someone who did try and encourage me to stick with things. But yeah. as it was, I had a mum who was just incredibly supportive of anything, any new venture just I wanted go to try explore. everything you want to do. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, it was just really wonderful. Mum, I want to play a saxophone. She's like, great, cool. And, you know, we didn't have the money to, but she would yeah. find a way for me to borrow a saxophone. And I'd learn yeah. the saxophone and stick with it for a while. And then I'd go, I think I want to do the trumpet. Great. We'll find a way for you to borrow yeah. a trumpet. I want to be a cross country skier. Great. Let's do cross country skiing. And- I tried to do that for yeah. Phoebe, my daughter. And so, so it was funny because she every time she wanted to learn a particular instrument, there was a song she wanted to learn to play on it. And once she got that, she's like, tick, done, next. You yeah, know? That's and exactly it was it. Yeah, so she learned piano and saxophone and guitar and flute. And, um, and it, I was really lucky. So a bit like your mum, single mum, didn't have a lot of money. Um, Phoebe's dad paid child support and he voluntarily paid a little bit more than he was supposed to the whole time. And he wanted her to have extracurricular activities because mm. he didn't get them when he was was young so we always had this idea that um she would do an art and a sport every term and so it was like volleyball and um flute or whatever and then she found circus and yeah. and it's an art and a sport i know and and it's got huge variety and it's yeah. generally people who get into it because they're chasing joy yeah absolutely and her teacher was so joyful she became one of my best friends and yeah i think just having the freedom to explore anything i think we do our kids a real disservice when we focus on what are you going to be when you grow up Mm. and shape everything they do around this economic slash productivity measure that will define them until they die and i'm just like just find joy it's and and it is i'm also really aware that it's um 
that it is quite a privileged position. And we, we, you know, we never had a lot of money growing up, but I think just in this society we're in, there is there is an inbuilt safety net that a lot of people don't have. And so I think it's much easier to say, yeah, I'm going to follow what it is. Mm. makes me happy if I know that I'm also going to have healthcare and I'm also going to, oh, you know, yeah, also going to have exactly. all these things to look so, after me. Exactly. Australia is a better place than many in that. One of the things I notice, and we probably won't go too far down the political stream, but um, welfare arrangements in this country are so much harsher now than they were 30 years ago mm. and they're quite punitive and demanding and there's these mutual obligations and things. I don't think I would be half the person I am now if I was under the current welfare regime because when Phoebe yeah. was born, I was 16, I was on a sole parent pension and then I started to work part-time so I was on a part pension, part-time work and then part-time study and I did that. It took me nine years to do my degree and and so it was great. All through Phoebe's primary school, I could be there to pick her up at the end of the day. I didn't have to put her into childcare and I studied when she was asleep and and you just balance it. Yeah. It wasn't easy but, um, you know, welfare payments haven't risen in line with things. They kick women off the sole parent pension yeah. when their kids start school. Uh, like there's so many disincentives and barriers in the way of building a life that would actually be – really good for the mother, really good for the kids and really good for society. Yeah, and my mum did the same thing. So she was raising two yeah. two young boys and dad had gone and um, thankfully we, we did. Yeah, How we old just were you when your dad passed away? Um, nine, I nine. think. Yeah, nine. Wow. So he was still – and my brother was a year, is a year and a half older than me. It's funny yeah. how it stays the same. It stays the same, yeah. yeah. Like you'll um, never catch up. <laughs> but I think I, and that's the age where your dad is still an absolute hero, nine. Yeah. Whereas my, I think my brother was just starting to get old enough – to see dad's flaws a little yeah. bit. And so for me, it was just like the hardest time. It was hard for both of us, but of I was course. like, wow, you know, he was the perfect dad. Oh, and so yeah. I see, see it that way. And I don't really know. I don't think my brother never spoke about him in that way, I think, but I think he you know, obviously still loved him. But yeah, yeah he was, was his passing unexpected. Something? Yeah, total shock. Oh, yeah. no. Well, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, this is a whole other thing, but mm -hmm. he, um, so he had just got. His dream job. He, he was a journalist with the BBC in, oh, awesome. in the UK when yeah. we were born, and then Mum was Australian though, so she wanted to move back to Australia. So I was born over in Scotland. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then he was just sort of working local journal journalism and whatnot, and then he landed a job with BBC World Service. Oh wow! And the story I'm told is that he he had to pass some kind of health check, and so he delayed it, mm -hmm. and he took my brother and I on holiday to Disneyland because he awesome. said he'd always want to take us to Disneyland. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then when he dropped us off back at the airport in Australia after that amazing holiday, and Mum picked us up. We never saw him again, <gasps> and it was a sudden death. But we're all wondering: did he? Did he no. know something was coming? Well, there's no proof that he did. Wow. But why did he get the dream job, delay the health check, take us on holiday, and then die? It was really you yeah. Know. Do you mind if I ask how he passed away? He had so he had high blood pressure, and it was a some kind of a hemorrhage. Like something an that happened. Yeah, and, and he was at home alone, oh, and he no. collapsed, and actually. Um, I think he ended up asphyxiating. Yeah, because um, yeah, no one else was there to, yeah. Gosh, that's awful. It's so tragic um, mm. because he sounds like such a vibrant person. You were, yeah, with, with and the, I'm only learning now yeah. all these traits that I have because I don't really know many of his um, people who knew him when he was young because he yeah. was, grew up in the UK and mum and him had separated before it happened so she didn't yeah. really talk about him much. And I've since – I actually got tracked down by – this is really random. Oh, sorry. Someone who he knew when he was really young mm -hmm. um, who uh, – 
this this man just sort of remembered that this fleeting but very close friendship he'd had with my dad, mm. and he looked him up, googled him because this guy had then gone off to have a career where he yeah. you know, went bankrupt and then had to move to Germany and you know wow. so he's living now in uh, like just outside Munich mm-hmm. and he's googled my dad you know Robin Warren Smith journalist mm-hmm. or BBC journalist yeah. and I'd just done a TV show on the BBC yeah so Warren Smith BBC, BBC and my headshot came up which was about the age he knew my dad. And he said his, wow. his heart stopped. He didn't even know that, that my yeah. dad had kids. So he's emailed my agent. I get this long email forwarded to me from oh. this guy in Germany, you know, who who knew my dad. So I looked him up and I went and stayed with him. And he was telling me stories about how – because Brian, mm-hmm. he, he hadn't gone to university. And my dad was always like, Brian, you need to go to university. Education is incredibly important. <laughs> yep. It was just so funny because this is the one thing I was like, I don't want to go to university. <laughs> um, and he was saying, yeah, and he'd, he'd, uh, he'd, Brian would come around and he'd uh, they'd drink red wine and he'd play classical music and recite poetry. To Brian, I'm like, oh my god, this sounds so much like me. Wow, yeah, oh, that's hilarious. It's interesting when you say that moment about Brian seeing your photo online. Mm. I've had a, a very like sliding doors moment like that once before as well. I had a really great friend in uh, sort of late primary school, early high school, and I got kicked out of school at the end of year 10 because I was pregnant, so I didn't see my friends for ages and they, they all went off to uni, got jobs, left town. And he tracked me down, oh, maybe nearly 10 years ago now. So it was I was living in Adelaide and just about to move back to Darwin. I'd made the decision, I'd set the date, and um, – he was living in Adelaide and had done so for 10 years. And so I'm like, eh, you know, Adelaide, I, I like to say the best thing you can say about Adelaide and the worst thing you can say about Adelaide is it's, it's really nice. Like, <laughs> it just didn't feel like my kind of town until festival was on. Like that one month a year, it's like, this is my place. And yeah. then and then eh. they put a clipsal in to balance it out, don't yeah, they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it just goes back to, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And he's like, no, let me show you my Adelaide. And so he did and I fell in love with it just as I was leaving. But he brought his son over to my house for dinner and his son was 10 and that's about the age when we were kids when we used to hang out and I remember sitting at the dining table and his son was across from me and he said something and pulled a face and it was like I was back in 1985 like it was <laughs> yeah. it was like oh my god that's Kenneth um and it's really interesting because nobody calls him Kenneth any day anymore yeah. these days he's Ken um and I was just it's a real physical sensation when you get launched back to the past it's, yeah. and you can't pick it but it was just that facial expression the yeah, yeah the well, mannerisms that's funny you say that because when i um went around and visited brian in germany for the first time with his wonderful wife barbara who's incredible yeah um and brian was quite quiet and barbara said to me sort of at the end of the meal she's like i just want you to know that this is not what brian's like he's just completely stunned by you so he was wow. kind of just sitting there and staring at me through dinner <laughs> and he said it was just like and then, then since then I've got to know him and he's like the life and soul he's yeah. one never stops talking but he was just kind of just he looking was, at me as if like this is so weird it's like a ghost is yeah. the ghost of my friend is back here sitting in my living room in oh my, that's just giving me shivers that's yeah. so cool yeah. wow so this is like so much so much to work with in this chat. Like I, I've got so many things I'd love to ask you. The podcast is theoretically about archaeology, but really like archaeology, it's just about people. Um, so the idea is to get an understanding of uh, your material life. And I think probably people will probably ask you the same questions they ask me when I tell them I'm an archaeologist and a comedian and they're like, but – how and where and what? Like, what do you, what do you actually do? And so, 
where do you live? What does your life look like in a material sense? How do you um, exist in the world? So very simply, I I just have very little possessions, and that's yeah. that's out of necessity. Like I, over the years, I've collected books, and they've, some of them have gone into storage, some of them are, are emerging from storage now. But generally, I, I pass things on as I yeah. get them. If I buy a new shirt, I give away an old one. Yep. I've literally just done that. You did visiting yesterday. you here. Yep. yep, bought a new pair of shorts and, and got yep. rid of the old ones. Nice. Um, because uh, yeah, I just lead a really yeah very minimalist life. I was really surprised when you turned up because you had these massive suitcases, and I'm like, he's oh, just like me. Um, but that was your props for the show, it's and the show. and your actual suitcase for yourself, tiny, tiny little like, backpack. Yeah, tiny Everything little little, little backpack, little yeah. laptop, and you you're done. You're you're yeah. there, and I think, wow, like I go away for a weekend and I take five books and four pairs of shoes. Like <laughs> it's, I'm impossible. I can't pack light, and I tried. Minimalism. So when I got divorced and moved to Adelaide, I downsized from a four-bedroom family home to a two-bedroom unit and then downsized from that to a bedroom in a share house. Like I was 36 before I'd lived in a share house. Um, and then and the idea was after that I would downsize to a backpack and travel. Uh, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't hack a room in a share house. So I got this two-bedroom apartment and I have filled it because my mm. art and my books were in storage when I was doing a lot of this. And and now I've just gradually been in this this specific apartment for seven years and I just keep filling it mm. and I can't imagine a life without – the security blanket of my staff. Yeah. yeah I need yeah, beauty and order and I don't know, I need comfort to feel safe. So, yeah. yeah. What's that like for you? How do you mm. feel settled in an unsettled lifestyle? I, you know, this is a really interesting thing because at the moment I'm just having this kind of discussion with, um, with my partner but also trying to find – some consistency while I tour because actually since the pandemic I'm going to be touring a lot more. It's, yeah. it's this new show that I've made is now it's, it's building awesome momentum. show by the way. We will talk about <laughs> it. <yes. laughs> um, and it looks like at least for the next eighteen months I'm going to be touring this quite solidly all over the world. Mm. Um, and so finding consistency in a in a completely inconsistent world where yes. your hours and and, uh, and and locations are constantly changing and energy levels can be quite low. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about as someone who's not great at keeping up routines it's yep. about finding a really simple routine and yeah and that is reading lots of books like atomic habits which yep. i saw you've got over On there the shelf, yep. yeah um and I just love trying that to, book. Yeah, it's really great and just finding so for me it's if when i am in a position where i get up in the morning and i meditate and i do just a bit of a stretch mm -hmm. i do a little bit of physical exercise and i do it every day yeah mentally i'm much better because then because yeah. one of the difficulties too is when you're only working evenings mm -hmm. and you're in foreign cities yeah. and i tour alone i don't even tour yeah, with a stage manager same. or anything yeah um is that then the only interaction you get is after the show in the evenings which is a bar yeah and even if you're not drinking too much, which sometimes I'm guilty of, you, you're just still out late and then you'd get up late and then… And you don't want to exercise yeah. and you don't want to like just… Um, oh, what's the word where you just toddle into the routine because it's automatic? Like you, 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 mm. you're tired, you don't want to get up. Like, oh, I don't need to be anywhere. I can just sleep for another two hours. Exactly. And then you don't exercise because, oh, shit, I'm late and how do I get there and do I know where I'm going? And Yeah. yeah. So I find that when I – and I'm, I'm really good at setting a routine but then not maintaining it and then Sunday night will come yeah. and I'll set it again and Monday will start and I'm great and then it dips off during – I'm like a That's week. That's so familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I find 
uh, helps me a lot, and maybe this is what, part of the way that I can't pack light. I pack my stick blender and Tupperware um, because you've got to take something, don't you? You do something which so, people think is odd. And I've got a shopping list. Oh, hey, this is how organised I am. Some people say it's anal, but other people are like, oh my god, I've never thought of that. I should do it. Is that when I'm travelling, I have my travel woolies shopping list in Mm -hmm. an app on my phone and um, preferably before I get to the airport to fly out, I will um, do a pickup order at the woolies near where I'm staying and so I will land in the airport, pick up my groceries, go to where I'm staying, pack the fridge, uh, get the stick blender ready for breakfast tomorrow. That's such a good idea. And it's so good and um, (laughs) it's so funny because so many Airbnbs, I have bought them a slow cooker um, because there's like you can get a $30 (laughs) slow cooker at Woolies and I get there usually at night, put the slow cooker dinner on and um, all the fruit and everything ready for the morning. And I get up in the morning and I serve the dinner into the individual serves of Tupperware, stick it in the freezer and the fridge. Um, And that way I know that – for my allergies and intolerances, I don't have to think. I don't have to look. I don't yeah. have – it's like I've got it sorted and I can just do what's necessary. And so I can get up, make my smoothie, go for a walk, come back and then do the media commitments or whatever. Yeah, that's and such a good – I'm going to have to do something like that. This idea of pre-ordering and even, even so getting a delivery, much. like I'll order a delivery for the groceries to be yeah, derived. I don't do, I yeah, I don't do delivery because I usually get a hire car because um, okay, yeah. in COVID it's safer than public transport. So. No, I've just been Ubering because um, – yeah. I gen- I d- also, I tend to tend to get accommodation really close to where I'm going to be and just walk everywhere. Yeah. Or, um, oh, you know, it's really great though. Some Airbnbs, they will actually say, would you like us to get your groceries in for you before you arrive? Oh, that's um, fantastic. I had the best Airbnb in Melbourne. It's that one diagonally opposite Town Hall during mm-hmm. Comedy Festival. He filled the fridge with all of my favourite things and I literally didn't have to go anywhere. So, I would just <laughs> get up, have my Because yeah, I eat out so much when I'm, yeah, when I'm performing. I'm constantly getting restaurants do. and breakfast and whatnot and yeah and and for me actually because my show is so physical and with all the walking that's involved mm-hmm. my legs over the course of the festival I'm doing like more than two weeks yeah they're just like lead yeah like I wake up in the morning and I can't walk so I've started taking up swimming nice because I need to do something yeah and uh swimming is great because it just takes all the pressure off yeah uh, because yeah any anything anything walking cycling running like that it's like no nah, there's not a chance I can barely walk mm. out of the house and uh this will be a real test because my last solo show was like four years ago now. Yeah. So, and even then I was exhausted. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. your last solo show was very active. That was yeah. Gary Starr performs everything and you performed all different kinds of theatre in an hour. I was amazed. Like there were some that I'd never heard of. Yeah. Um, and it was – I think was that was the show where you got the anarchic play date with the two foot yeah, six foot two one. toddler. Yeah, it was great. And so your new show is Grease Lightning. And it's all of Greek mythology. It's all of Greek. Yeah. So this time Gary Starr has discovered that he's Greek uh, and then at the same time has discovered that uh, the economy is not doing well over there. So he thinks, well, how can I help my Hellenic homeland? And he thinks, well, if I perform all of Greek mythology, then surely that will reignite people's interest in Greece. Desire to thus, go. Yeah, thus boosting tourism, thus saving the economy. So he aims high, Gary. He does. It's like, yeah, oh, well, a- I can save Greece if I if I, uh, <laughs> if I perform all of Greek mythology. He, he's such a wonder. Like, he, he's saved theatre, now he's saving Greece. I wonder, yeah. will he save the world? Will he save? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the next one. It's got to be, like, Gary generally. Star saves the world. It's got to be really hot. You've got to be kind of poking fun at something which is quite high art or quite yeah. pretentious anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, and and it's got to be 
an impossible task. Yeah. So I don't know what the – I think it's a, probably a series of three, Gary, but I don't know what the third one is yet. Wow. But I think it could be something like, you know, Sol's Global Warming or like – That would be so cool. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that whole idea of, of doing a trilogy because uh, I'm mid-trilogy myself – and I, I decided to do it after seeing Alice Fraser's first trilogy. Um, and I think it's now called the Alice Fraser Trilogy and you can catch it online. Um, and Because she did Savage, The Resistance and Empire. Savage was about her mum. The Resistance was about her Hungarian Jewish grandmother. And Empire was about her dad. And it was amazing the way... She did that. And then my first solo show that was about archaeology, so my second show ever, was I See Dead People. And it was all about how humans deal with dead bodies. And it really touched the spot with a lot of people. And because it was something that people don't talk about. And there's that idea that you shouldn't talk about death, sex, religion. And I'm like, I'm going to do a trilogy on this. So religion will be the third one. Yeah. So I already know... Um, the shape of the trilogy. So I see dead people, a history of hanky panky, and ungodworthy. Oh, this is great. Well, this is what I'm thinking for the third one. Oh. Gary Starr performs the Bible. Oh, I thought you were going to say Gary Starr saves religion. <laughs> and I'm like, please well, don't. <laughs> yeah. But I think because the Bible is something that most people know quite a lot about. Yeah. But they only know. But in know a very a general little, sense. Which is the same thing as Greek mythology. People yeah. go, oh, yeah, I know Medusa. Medusa had snakes in her hair. Yeah. And Lot, wasn't he the one that diddled his kids? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, like it's, a, it's a religious tradition. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I think that, yeah, I was thinking about this. I actually was toying with the idea of, um, I, did a, I did a spot for. The Comedy Republic in Melbourne had like a, they do a Christmas pageant, yeah. And so I did I uh, the I life of the life of Baby Jesus in ten minutes. Oh, awesome! And, uh, <laughs> it's kind, of, but I think the, the difficulty is though that my, all of my show so far, all of my stuff is not in any way controversial. Like it's not political. It's kind of like Greek mythology. There are not people out there going, "You can't make fun of this because this really <laughs> happened." This is the great <laughs> thing about the Greeks and the Romans. Like I can rely on them a lot because <laughs> the stakeholders aren't so direct anymore. Yeah. yeah. So Christianity, I think, would be a different. One. I mean, we're kind of getting to the point now where people are treating it a bit more like Greek mythology, but there are still some people <laughs> who aren't. I'm not concerned so much about that. Like, I do know that I piss a lot of Catholics off. Um, and I remember I was in a comedy workshop once. Nazim Hussain came up to Darwin and um, we all the comedians up here gathered around and learnt from the master. And one of the girls was saying, I think religion jokes are just cheap. Like, it's really not nice to poke fun at people's religion. And I went, oh, fuck no. The Catholic Church fucked me. I fuck back. And Nazim's <laughs> like, yes, you can do it if you have a reason to. Yeah. And so I take great pleasure in that. So I went to a Catholic school and was kicked out of school at 16 for being pregnant. And so um, there's an amazing thing. If anyone here is looking to make a charitable donation before the end of the financial year, the Brave Foundation is a foundation that supports teen parents. And they are amazing because they write policy for schools, how to how to handle a teen pregnancy. Because there are still schools where the principal will apologise to the parents for this student falling pregnant and setting a bad example to their children. Um, and so these w- young women get cast out and by doing by denying them an education, you consign them and their children to a life of lower socioeconomic outcomes. And I just don't think that's reasonable. And so the church did this in the name of... Um, you know, punishing me for my sins as well. I got a priest giving me the whole hellfire and brimstone sort of 
So it was, it was fucked. It was really. Yeah. And, and so it was, it was really strange because in high school I'd been flirting with atheism. There are still people that would go, oh, God, I remember you in Year 9 religion. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't let up. And I'm like, it didn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So I and, – and then teen parenthood, when you live an hour away from the nearest town, quite isolating. Mm. And the weekly outing for your family is church. Um, what do you do? Yeah, this is the thing, and this is how they get you, is community. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, everyone's sort of looking for community, and if that's all that there is to offer, then it's very hard to go against that, you know. It really is. And so I thought, oh, well, I believe in the Ten Commandments, so mm. I guess that I guess that makes I me like the songs. Catholic. The songs are I great. I mean, the lyrics school, are a bit like, dodgy, but... <laughs> yeah. well, there's, a, there's a Tim Minchin's thing. I know. Uh, the songs that they sing are quite, quite good, but yeah. the lyrics are dodgy or something. Yeah, yeah, the songs have nice chords, but the lyrics, lyrics are dodgy. dodgy yeah. I love that song, yeah. <laughs> Tim Minchin just gets it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I rejoined that- the church. Oh, That's okay. And in 1997, I was like, oh, the church is really wealthy and they don't seem to be supporting the poor the way I thought they should. And I was just learning about the complicity of the Catholic Church in World War II where they were um, on the side of the Nazis and then our local priest got caught um, sexually abusing children and I just went, I'm – done i am yeah. out of this church i can be a good person and not be catholic yeah uh, and yeah, yeah so so i so that's yeah those are some of the many reasons when i punch back <laughs> at the catholic church like i'm not as powerful as the church so yeah. i do think it counts as punching up so. yeah punching up but i think we, i was talking about this recently with someone how important that is in comedy it's like what can you make fun of and i yeah. said well it's a pretty safe bet that if you're punching up or yeah. punching sideways people are not going to get to you know, exactly. If you're punching down, then you probably should, you have to have a really good reason to be punching down. You have to come exactly. at it with a very clever. Well, I, I don't think you ever really take. should punch down. Um, but also, I, I really don't like these conversations about um, well, you shouldn't make rape jokes or you can't make jokes about this. I think you can make jokes about anything mm. as long as they're good. And so, I love making rape jokes and pedophilia jokes because the victim of my joke is the rapist and the pedophile. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're the butt of the joke. Yeah, yeah, they've held the power for way too long, and I think. Also, by joking about that, it empowers people who have also survived these things um, because it gives them a power to laugh at their abuser. Mm. Yeah, and I think that is something that uh, it it is a very powerful thing to laugh at someone. Yeah. And they haven't been in that position to do so. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not out here saving the world with rape jokes. but you know. <laughs> I'm saving the world with my shows, I think. You're, you saved the world. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Like, so, I saw your show last night and it was so dense with stuff and, and so many layers in it. Like, you could go in there knowing nothing about Greek mythology and have a really fun time. And then you just had these little Easter eggs yeah. Where I was cracking myself, uh, yeah, and it was like, oh, it's just for me. Like you put that one, in. yeah. It felt well, like there was one I literally put in last night because of oh, you. Yeah. But that, that actually didn't. That we got the big laugh from everyone. I loved that. That was so good. I was really like, I like being an inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So tell me now. So you're you're traveling the world. Mm-hmm. You you travel light. The question behind this podcast is what would archaeologists think of you if they dug you up a thousand years from now? So it's a question about if they dug up your 
grave or your home, mm. and you sound a little bit homeless to me. A little bit homeless, but this this is something. This is a slight aside to it's that. Like being a little bit pregnant. But <laughs> I read a book called um, the the fantasy, the strange, or the incredible life of um, Joseph Grimaldi. Amazing. Joseph so Joseph Grimaldi? Grimaldi was the Joey clown, and the Joey clown was one of the original kind of white face painted oh. faced clowns. And Joseph Grimaldi was around, you know, gosh, I can't remember now. It's like, you know, pre Shakespeare, I think. But um, this book was incredible. It's the life of, you know, this clown who. Um, who really suffered like physically and uh, it was a time where you know you'd get thrown off the stage and the people catching you were the people who would work on ships so they'd oh, come wow. back and all the stage hands would catch yeah, people sailors. and you had to you had to bribe the sailors so you had to pay them like tip them um, <laughs> and, and if you didn't they'd, and let, if you you didn't, they'd let you fall you oh, know? No. and you're like falling through trapdoors but he had a um, his uh, his body really suffered and in the end he was kind of you know a cripple yeah. and so when you say if they <laughs> so dug me up yeah. because actually my, my godfather who, who amazed you know, the idea of a godfather is that they're there to step in if your father um, yeah. doesn't survive. And my godfather's been incredible at that. Like, he really awesome. has stepped up. But he was really worried about me. <laughs> he was like, uh, so you are – he's terribly English. He's like, so you're – you know, you, you are looking after yourself physically, aren't you? Because this is you – know, <laughs> it is – because I sent him the book. I was like, oh, you're, if you really want to know what my life is like, you know, send it's this. Like but this. not thinking – he's like, this sounds horrific. <laughs> are, are we worried? Should we be worried about you? I'm like, no, it's fine. I do yoga. <laughs> Oh, God. It's so funny being chronically ill and people are like, have you tried yoga? Yeah, I know. But in all honesty, when I'm doing it regularly on tour, it's the one thing that saves me because I don't oh, wake up with yeah. my back sore. I've got to get up and do something. If I go and do classes, um, you know, a couple of times a week while I'm on tour, even though I'm exhausted, mm-hmm. I come out feeling good and actually – at 40 now with the show that is so physical, it's the only thing that's keeping me walking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I used to, uh, when I did a lot of field work and was hiking with a 12-kilo pack all day off trail in like sandstone country, amazing places, it was really good for my body but also really hard on the body. Mm. And I'd come back into town and I had a Chinese massage therapist and my yoga school that you went to the other day and I would go to four yoga classes a week and it was just so good. Carol has the the ropes for hanging on the wall so I'd turn up like 20 minutes early and I'd hang upside down on the wall and it would just like stretch me out and then I'd do the yoga class. It was so good. Yeah, it was a good studio. Beautiful studio. Yeah, yeah. Darwin Yoga Space. I'm plugging everything today. Plugging you, plugging Carol, plugging Alice. Uh, I should plug myself. I don't Mm. have much to plug at the moment, so we will plug yours in a little while. But tell me, yeah, archaeologists, they're going to dig you up. Are they going to dig up um, your suitcase or your body or what would you like them to dig up? I'm hoping, although I don't have a dog with me at the moment, it'll be me and my dog. <laughs> there were cultures that did kill the dogs to bury them with their master at the was, time. Um, well, they found the this is how they know that um, that dogs were, um, you know, I was going to say gentrified, <laughs> domesticated. <laughs> dogs were gentrified. Jezebel's gentrified. Yeah, she's, she yeah, is. So Jezebel is my daughter's dog for yeah, people lying at right home. Here. She's lying. Tail's just, every now and then. <laughs> she's sleeping, having a bit of a dream, sniffing um, stuff in a dream. But yeah, they found uh, yeah human human remains which were you know buried with a dog for mm. like tens of thousands of years before they thought it was a thing 11,000 years ago 11,000 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. before they um 
yeah, before they they kind of believed it, they found some, and and they also were saying that they think it was a, it was a mutually beneficial thing. It wasn't humans mm. domesticating dogs. It was dogs canids, canids going. I could get something from you, and humans going. I could get something from you. Like companionship, food, great. Let's like huddle up together. Exactly. And became yeah. best friends. Um, it's it's funny because I don't know whether you have this saying down south, but we've been talking about the territory and how hot it is, and and how we feel cold when it gets under twenty degrees. Um, when it's down to like fifty. Degrees, that's a two dog night. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> snuggle yeah. up to the dogs. Well, I sadly had to, um, yeah. So, my, my dog who'd been traveling with me for, for many years, mm-hmm. I had to leave him in Vegas when the pandemic hit. So, it was so a heartbreaking. Heart- I couldn't imagine yeah. that. It would be so heartbreaking. Yeah. And the most heartbreaking thing was the decision to leave him there because I thought his life was better. Oh, so no. So, initially, I left him because, you know, the people, the couple I left him with who also had a dog were willing to take him because I had 48 hours to leave. Basically, oh, my show closed in Vegas yeah. and I was like going back to Melbourne. And then they were sending me photos of the life that he had. And I was like, well, as soon as this pandemic is over, I'm back on the road. Yeah. And now he lives with. A couple who there's always someone home. They've got another dog who he, who he sleeps curled up with, yeah. and they go hiking and boating. And, oh. and I was like, I I just can't do that to him now. Whip him, and also because getting a dog into Australia is hard. Very hard. Like he got six or seven weeks quarantine. Yeah. Unless you're Johnny Depp. Well, then, of course, yeah, 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 you just bring yeah. them in and they get threatened by the deputy yeah, exactly. prime minister. <laughs> yeah. Oh golly! So, so Haggis yeah. sounds like he's got a great life. Does he have an Instagram? Uh, <laughs> Can we plug Haggis's Instagram? I don't know if he does actually. No, I haven't. Well, I've kind of stopped. They would send me photos, and I would respond and then after a while I kind of would delay the response and now I'm, and then I didn't respond and then it sent me photos because I just had to let him go. Yeah. Uh, it was just heartbreaking. I couldn't imagine what that's like. That yeah. just sounds awful. So you would like to be buried with Haggis? Yeah, um, with a dog, yeah. yeah. There'll be someone there. Um, that would be next to me. Um, I probably have – they could probably tell there's some kind of lower back injury. Mm. Um, I will have very few possessions. I think they'll be, be able to tell very little about yeah, me. so no grave goods, no clothes because you don't wear a lot of clothes. No, and, and I don't really be, want be, to be, be buried. You'd like, be buried in a white G-string. Like, wouldn't yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of want to be something else done with my body. And like, you're Elizabethan rough. I think yeah. that would be so cool. If I was digging up a skeleton <laughs> – A white thong in Elizabeth. That's what people know me as. <laughs> Elizabethan rough and yeah, a dog with one ball popping out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, your balls the will be long gone. Like, <laughs> so, I don't know. You might have to get a prosthetic one before you die. Yeah. Um, gosh, imagine because prostheses are fascinating. Because oh, they'll just stick around, won't they? Yeah, yeah. So the earliest prosthetic arm was actually a knife with a leather strap set up to strap it onto the the stump of the forearm. And, they found and it, so yeah. yeah, they found it in the grave. So wow. there was a Roman. I don't know whether it was a soldier. Someone had lost their arm and survived and then someone made them this really nice, not a hook, it was a knife. And and I think that would be just so cool. That's Um, like early Edward Scissorhands stuff there, isn't it? Well, absolutely. That's not a knife. This is a knife. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's an arm. Oh, no, wait, it is a knife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you played army knifey before. Yeah, it was really interesting. that's where an army knife came from. Maybe it is. (laughs) It's not just a knife. It's an army knife. It's a Roman army knife. (laughs) It's sort of army, sort of knife. Yeah. We'll call it an army knife. There was a very interesting uh, Aboriginal guy in the central desert when white people first went through there and he had a wooden leg 
Um, because people don't think of Indigenous cultures in Australia as having medicine per se, mm. but they had really sophisticated or medicine. Or trading as well. Like oh, you and trade, trading yeah. With so, the yeah. yeah, they traded with the Indonesians for 400 years before we got here. And um, I've found, and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, one of my the, – the most impressive site in my career is a quarry site where they made axes and blades – and there's about 45 million artefacts in this site. It spreads over five kilometres. You can't walk without standing on an artefact. Mm. And it's just like industrial-scale manufacture and trade. And I did some research in the site, which was the first research in Australia that showed a multi-stage manufacturing process across the landscape. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so, you know, there was such sophistication in the culture and cultures because very different cultures around Australia and it's just been really um, erased from the history of the country, deliberately so because it served the colonisers. And so trying to get this information out now is um, I find like it's something that I really want to do but I don't want to speak for Indigenous people. And mm. so it's like this real ethical quandary. But I was going to talk to you about Indigenous medicine. And there was a guy in the 1920s who worked for the Commonwealth Government and took photographs. D.D. Smith was his name. And he did this trip through the Northern Territory and took photos all the way. And there was a guy who had um, amputated his own leg. So he was an old guy. He was about Mm, 60, 70 sort of Aboriginal guy, sort of northwestern central desert. And he had injured his leg, lower leg, and it got um, infected. And what he did was, this is going to be gory, lit a fire and basically put his leg on the fire to burn the lower half of his leg off. So what he, it was cauterizing and sealing the, um, the flesh and the muscle to the bone and then burning from the lower half of the bone off. So he had a little stump of bone sticking out the end of his stump of flesh um, and had burnt off the rest and sealed it. And it was um, sterile. Fire's good for that. Um, and also the bone, great for attaching wood to. Well, so well he wasn't the guy with the wooden leg. Oh, he, a different one. Yeah, different one. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, like, you know, lots yeah. of people lose a leg or an arm or a finger or whatever. Um, yeah, and so... They're so connected with the environment and understanding the properties of plants in terms of food and medicine. And the thing is, is like Indigenous people didn't describe these properties like we do with the periodic table for the chemistry elements or whatever, but they had a really sophisticated understanding of the fracture mechanics of stone and um, like things that people just go, oh, well, they just bashed rocks together. Like, it's bullshit. Like, they could direct the force to make the most intricate and amazing objects yeah. um, at will. And so, yeah, anyway, I love it. But yeah. it's not what we're here to talk about. So, <laughs> <laughs> medicine, dead bodies. So, your lower back injuries, will they find any bits of metal or other healed healed breaks? Or No, I mean, I've got various fractures throughout time. I've got fractured, uh, fractured some ribs. Um, what else have I broken? Broken something else recently as well. Oh, okay. But no, I'm generally in reasonably good condition. I've got like a few ailments from from. I used to do a lot of sport when I was younger. Yeah. So I think they could probably tell that I did a lot of sport when I was younger, like mm -hmm. ankles uh, that are swollen, permanently swollen, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, all the irritation and. Yeah. Um, I reckon you'd probably have really fascinating muscle attachments because you are quite fit, but also quite lean and. Um, 
So your our, our bones continue to remodel through our life, mm. and the more you build your muscle, the more your bones build. And uh, it's just fascinating to me to see um, a repetitive stress injuries on bones and teeth and that sort of thing. Oh, your teeth would be fascinating too. Yeah. Um, because what we can do now in archaeology is. Um, analyze the dentine of your teeth and the, okay. and also the plaque and figure out whether you died where you were born or not. Oh, interesting. And so because uh, there's all these different isotopic analyses that you can do from uh, core samples of bone and stuff. Um, sorry, I'm just getting <laughs> Angus saying, I'm hearing there's a shortage of Ubers, so Angus is going to come pick you up shortly. But okay, I don't great. think he's on his way yet, but we should finish up shortly. Um Yes, so you have travelled a long way from where you were born and yeah. you go back. Yeah, so go back don't and die forth. in Scotland or you'll be boring. We won't be able to tell. But also, <laughs> if, they, if, you know, if they have any uh, history about me and they're like, oh, the man who made the show about because uh, he was Greek, so he did all about Greek mythology, and they'll go, wait a minute, we can tell he's not Greek. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. Do, they're like, this, there's a man performing as, as a Greek who wasn't Greek. It doesn't make sense. It yeah. Exist. And that's the thing, like, we kind of need a metal plaque with you when you die that's engraved with your life story. So, oh, there was an excavation at Spitalfields Church. Screwed onto my bone. Somehow, so it'll yeah, be yeah. There. So um, maybe by that stage we'll have like microchip implants, and I'll just be scanning. Them. Yeah. Oh, have you heard about natural burials where they bury you and plant a tree with you? There's no. um, forest cemeteries. Oh, you can get like coffins which are like biodegradable. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah. In, yeah. A woman that came to I see dead people runs a natural cemetery in Suffolk, and she said they actually have. Like QR codes, but these readers, and you can take your phone with the app through the cemetery and, and scan it till you find grandma and sit down and have a picnic with grandma. Oh, that's so great. And when you scan, like it tells their life story and all of that. So I'm just like, yeah, we should implant these into our bones for when we die. So and make it easier for archaeologists. How much nicer is it to hug a tree than a gravestone? I know. It's oh, that's so great. Lovely. I want to do that. I want to go tree hugging and then find out it's somebody. It'd be great if you can, if it's like they use NFC and so if you get too close, it says something to you. Like you hug it and it <laughs> can tell and says, thank you very much. Yeah, well, that would be lovely. In Melbourne, the council started a thing where um, they put like a, an email address or something on trees on and trees. you could report yeah. a problem and they got all of these love letters to trees. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, you can so, email a tree. Yeah, yeah, how lovely is that? I like that idea. To, and I think one of the things we all miss generally in society these days is being in touch with the world around us mm. and yeah how do you find that when you travel how do you experience a new place yeah i'm constantly renegotiating how i do that i really like to get out and explore a bit um it, it's funny because i i think a lot of the time I'm, i feel like i'm too exhausted to go and do things yeah. but i'm also really worried like if i go out and do something mm -hmm. because you work in the evening yeah only for an hour yeah but there's a lot of lead up to that if you do have the day free you can never fully relax because exactly, you know you've got, you've got to get back yeah and if you don't get back the show doesn't happen exactly it's so all on all, your shoulders so i try and explore but you can never be fully relaxed unless it's a day off and so yeah but people go oh you don't really do much during the day it's like <laughs> you just wait to well, exactly. wait to doing, do the show in the evening and you're doing all the social media to make sure people buy exactly. tickets to come to the and show in the media evenings. And, yeah. and, and writing and, and I'm self-producing at the moment until you know, for the first year. Yeah, yeah. For the first, I, I like tend to do this. I tend to like to – I produce the show myself and, yeah. I, and I do everything, like yeah. produce, direct, write, um, everything. So I sometimes work with a director. Mm -hmm. um, 
but then and then I hand over once the show's finished I hand it over to a producer to then sell it and then I can just it's nice because you know you're confident in the product and now yeah. you just roll with it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then someone else can take care of the details yeah. that must be such a liberating point to get to yeah, yeah. so I think we've decided that um, you'll be a very boring skeleton you'll be fit and healthy you love dogs we don't know much about you we won't be able to tell <laughs> what an amazing fabulous life you have the way you travel the world so tell us where can people find you? Where are you traveling next? And um, how can they see this amazing show, Grease Lightning? So you can find you can find me on uh, at GaryStar.com. So it's two R's in Gary, two R's in Star. Mm-hmm. Four R's in total there. Yes, yes, I, um, I can count. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and then uh, and then social media is Gary the Star. Gary. Two R's in Gary, two R's in Star, no R's in the. Oh, good to know. That, Gary yeah. the Star. Gary the Star. That's Instagram. Um, Twitter a little bit. Yeah. Facebook. Um, and uh, and I'm going to be touring. So I've just finished in here in Darwin. And yep. then this week I'm playing Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yep. So I've got two weeks in Melbourne. Then uh, Canberra, Sydney Comedy Festival, Brisbane Comedy Festival. Excellent. little holiday in Texas. Nice. With my, uh, with my partner. And then I head to the UK. Also doing Ballarat in there? Oh, yes, I've got a one-on-one off in Ballarat as well. Excellent. Yep, after Melbourne. Yeah. And then I go to um, the UK, so I'll do Brighton, Bristol. This is in July. Mm-hmm. Brighton, Bristol, Manchester and London and then Edinburgh Fringe in August. Edinburgh will be brilliant, yes. And then I head over to Scandinavia. Nice. And so far I'm doing Bergen and Gothenburg. They are um, brilliant. And more than likely Berlin because I lived there for quite a while. Excellent. Um, and uh, my friend runs the Comedy Cafe Berlin, which is oh, excellent. a great little comedy venue. So I'll, I'll hopefully play there. I'll meet your friend next time I'm over there. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure they'd love to have you there. That would be awesome. And then, uh, yeah, then p- potentially some other European dates. Um, if not, then I will uh, travel around for a little bit and then come home. I'm, I'm considering doing a New York and an LA show on the way home. That'd be great. Yeah, so I've got a friend who's actually got a, a venue in both those places who said, yep, that we'll have you absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I'll see how I feel. I mean, by that point. You'll be a bit tired. And especially because I'm going to America on the way over as well. And yeah. I, I always get nervous going into America. It's like, what are they going to do? Yeah. How am I going to get shot? Yeah, it's a strange. How often? <laughs> <laughs> will I die here? Will they shoot the dog too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's just the visa because, you know, because I've got a UK and Australian passport, I've had any, any worries oh, going over awesome. to Europe and Australia. Yeah. And then uh, America is the first place I've ever lived where I didn't have, you know, the absolute right to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, of course I had the visa and I was allowed to work there. Yeah. But at any moment I thought someone could pull the rug out and they'd be like, you have to go. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's just so, such yeah. a loss of control. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So people can find you at GaryStar.com or at GaryTheStar online, two hours, two hours, no hours in the. Yep. And yeah, thank you for coming and having a chat on Digging Up Later. Thanks for having me.